This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Donald Trump says he wants to end America's longest war. The one in Afghanistan, where Americans have been fighting since 2001, 14,000 U.S. troops are still there. Trump says a peace deal with the Taliban is in the works. It may be signed in April, and his goal seems to be for American corporations to make money in Afghanistan mostly by mining the country's valuable minerals, a project filled with corruption. For a report, we turn to Anthony Lowenstein. He's a freelance investigative journalist who's written for The Guardian, The New York Times, The Washington Post, Al Jazeera, The New York Review, and The Nation. His most recent book, Disaster Capitalism, is out now in paperback. We reached him today in East Jerusalem. Anthony Lowenstein, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, you report in The Nation that a minerals rush is already underway in Afghanistan. What are American mining companies and others uh, hoping to mine there? Remind us how we got to this point. In brief, um, the Soviets invaded, of course, in 1979, and they soon realized that there was huge mineral resources under the ground. And most studies that we now have of the Soviet occupation show that, in fact, the Soviets paid for some of that occupation through mineral resources under the ground. Um, Of course, that war was disastrous for them. They lost and they got kicked out of the country 10 years later, and that obviously precipitated the end of the Soviet Union. Fast forward to um, October 2001, the U.S. invades, the Taliban's overthrown within three weeks. So... Fast forward a few more years after that, and the U.S. starts investigating what the Soviets had discovered 30 years before. And they found these maps, which essentially um, gave information about where these resources were kept. And when George W. Bush was president, they made a finding that anywhere between one to three trillion U.S. dollars of resources were under the ground. We're talking about rare earths, copper, gold, lithium, cobalt. And some of those resources are what uh, power our mobile phones, computers, etc. And during the Bush years and the Obama years, the US invested hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to try to kickstart this economy um, by supporting often US companies and others. And not surprisingly, because the country's at war has been for, well, at least since 2001, and in fact, many years before that, not much has really happened. There's been some mining officially. There's been some contracts handed out. The U.S. has put a huge amount of pressure on um, successive Afghan governments to try to give out contracts to particularly U.S. mining companies. The Chinese, for example, in 2007 secured um, a mining contract one hour from Kabul in a place called Logar Province, which I visited a few years ago. It's one of the biggest copper deposits in the world, and yet despite that contract being signed over 10 years ago, nothing has actually really happened because of violence, corruption, and a range of other reasons. So fast forward now to Trump. Trump comes in, and Trump is, as many listeners will be aware, has such a contradictory view about U.S. foreign wars. On one level, he supports them. On some ways, he doesn't. And he's often argued publicly and privately, from what we understand, that the U.S. should only stay in that country if they can essentially get the resources. As he often has argued about if the U.S. was going to invade Iraq, we should have taken the oil and similar views about Libya. The Trump administration has been pressuring the Afghan government to give out contracts to a range of American companies to mine these resources. And because the mining industry in Afghanistan is deeply corrupt 
and incredibly um, insecure because vast parts of the country are controlled by the Taliban or ISIS or other insurgent groups. The idea of a viable mining industry is completely insane. And what's the present state of the war? The truth is that the Taliban have the upper hand. When Trump comes in, there was certainly a push, not just by Trump, but others around him, to potentially end the war, potentially. And in the last months, there's been a really, really big initiative by the Trump administration and other people, including the Taliban, to sit down at talks, to have face-to-face talks, both in the Middle East and also in Moscow. Ironically, that Russia is hosting these talks, considering Russia's role in Afghanistan 40-odd years ago. And according to reports, the peace talks are certainly not signed and sealed, but there appears to be some kind of understanding or negotiation towards a possibility of the US apparently pulling out most or all of its forces within 18 or so months and the Taliban assuring the US that they won't allow foreign terror groups like al-Qaeda to be able to plan another 9-11 and that women, for example, will have equal and free rights in an Afghanistan post-US occupation. Now, all that sounds kind of okay, but um, there's a thousand other unresolved questions, including, I might add, the mining issue, which is not talked about. Like, what happens to these resources if and when the US pulls out? And that's a really, really worrying question because so much of the violence would be created by an unregulated mining industry. There's a couple of other players here in addition to Trump we need to talk about. One of them is Eric Prince, the Blackwater founder. Uh, He's got a scheme to privatize the Afghan war, which Trump says he's rejected. But you report in The Nation that Eric Prince's goals in Afghanistan are, are far more extensive than that. Absolutely. What Prince has been doing for years, and of course, he had the upper hand during the George W. Bush years and during the Obama years, he was less welcomed in Washington because he was, he feared, in fact, being prosecuted by the Obama team, which never actually happened. Trump comes in. His sister, of course, is Betsy DeVos, who was the education secretary under Trump, and he's a very big supporter of the Republican Party. And what Prince really is trying to do and so far has not convinced Trump apparently to do is to privatise, as you say, the whole war. He claims that he can win the war against the Taliban with five or 6,000 mercenaries against the Taliban, which is just delusional thinking. But what he's also doing, and he spent some time in Afghanistan in the last six months, to try to get resources that are under the ground, including cobalt and lithium. And he announced, in fact, on January the 1st this year that he is establishing a 500 million US dollar fund to find resources in conflict zones that can be used for electric car batteries. Um, We're talking about countries like Congo and Afghanistan and elsewhere because he believes, with some accuracy probably, that electric cars are the future. But, of course, the resources that go into those electric car batteries are usually found in places like Congo and Afghanistan, such as cobalt. So what's really disturbing is that he is pushing for um, mining in Afghanistan, getting contracts for some of the most dangerous areas of the country. Now, as far as we know, the Afghan government has not agreed to that. President Ghani, the Afghan president, is opposed to it, but many people in his government support it. And, of course, there's going to be an Afghan presidential election in a few months. And Prince is apparently supporting some of the candidates who are going to be against President Ghani. So Prince really, in some ways, is, I think, imagining a future where Afghanistan becomes an incredibly reliable place for 
minerals and resources, which may well help his electric car battery fund. But let's not forget one key point. How do you secure those resources in a war zone? Well, we've talked about Trump and Eric Prince and the mining companies and the government in Kabul and the Taliban, the Chinese, the Russians. What about the Afghan people who live in the mining areas? Well, the Afghan civilians are really the ones who have been suffering here. And when I was in Afghanistan twice in the last years, I spent a lot of time in these areas where, for example, in the area of Logar province, it's one hour from Kabul. It's where this Chinese-owned mine, this copper mine, Inak, is situated. And these civilians were promised the world in the mid-2000s, um, better schools, better education, better healthcare, roads, a mosque. They got absolutely nothing. In short, absolutely nothing. And fast forward to 2018-19, and these people are desperate. They, In fact, when I met them, they were on the verge of joining the insurgency out of sheer frustration and hatred of what was going on in, in their area. This is repeated across the country. And in many areas of Afghanistan, there's illegal mining. Lots of resources are getting out of the country, and they're being... Um, the profits are going to warlords or corrupt Afghan government ministers or Pakistani um, uh, Taliban or a range of other players, Afghan civilians get virtually nothing. And one of the things I've looked at in the last sort of five or six years with disaster capitalism, both in a book and a film, is that there's really very, very few countries in the world, if any, in any viable way, particularly poor countries, who can make civilians succeed in a mining industry. Lots of promises are made that we're going to bring resources and money and schools. It's usually all ends in tears for those civilians, and Afghanistan's no different to that. So the promises that are being made now by Eric Prince and a range of other American mining companies and Donald Trump and a lot of others really makes Afghan civilians pretty nervous. Having said all that, many Afghan civilians I know are desperate for peace, not peace at any price and not peace without justice. And one of the really concerning parts, I think, about the current peace talks, just to go back to that briefly, is that the Afghan government's totally excluded from the peace talks. Now, the Afghan government's deeply corrupt and highly, highly problematic on a range of levels. And yet, how do you seriously make a peace deal without the Afghan government, who are, with all their faults, the elected government of the country? A lot of Afghan civilians I speak to are keen on peace, very keen, but they're worried about how this is playing out. But I guess they have to be optimistic because there's not many other options on the table at the moment. Anthony Lowenstein wrote about Afghanistan for The Nation. You can read his report at thenation.com. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. 
Granger for the ones who get it done.